This morning I want to look at specifically some teaching by Jesus himself. You know, so I was talking to John just before we began worship this morning that it is often easy as we uh, go along in our, in our preaching and teaching and on our study of the word to get away from Jesus himself, the things that he said and did. And as I was thinking about, you know, starting into a new year and uh, beginning to, to do some more teaching over the course of the next several months, one of the things that I wanted to do is draw at least myself and take you along with me, I suppose, uh, back to Jesus as a teacher and looking at some of the things that he actually said. Because it's easy for us to think about things that people say about Jesus and much of the New Testament, you know, following the Gospels is, you know, things that are related to the work that Jesus began, the work that Jesus started. But I think it's important for us to go back and touchstone on the things that Jesus actually did say and the things he actually did during the course of his, his ministry on earth. And we're going to start this morning by looking at a couple of examples of his teaching. And, and see how he uses, uh, in this particular case, parables to present uh, important messages that we need to understand. Now, when we talk about parables, you know, sometimes we hear parables described as a, a, an earthly story with a heavenly message. And that's not a bad way of looking at it. It's Jesus using real world circumstances and situations, things that we can relate to in order to communicate about things that are spiritual in nature, which are far more difficult for us to understand. And he does this numerous times throughout his, his preaching ministry. He'll use these real-world examples, these real-world stories, to communicate these, these messages. And this morning we want to look at two. And the first one we're going to look at, and if you want to uh, turn in your Bible to Luke the 18th chapter. We're going to have it up, up, up here on the screen. Am I piloting this, Nathaniel? Okay. There we go. If I can... There we go. Went too far. There we are. Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14. And this is the parable that we often refer to as the Pharisee and the tax collector. You may have heard, heard it referred to as the Pharisee and the publican, and we'll talk a little bit more about that word in just a bit. But notice the way that Luke introduces the parable. That he says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So now we know why Jesus is telling this particular story. Because he's talking to people who were confident of their own righteousness and in so doing looked down on other people. Does that sound like any religious people that you know? Does that sound like any religious people maybe you've ever been at moments in your life? So this is to whom Jesus is addressing this story. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now in order for us to understand the story in the context that would have been understood by the people to whom it was being spoken, we have to understand a couple of things. What was a Pharisee, first of all? Because we don't have Pharisees today, so we need to understand a little bit about who the Pharisees were. So the Pharisees were one of two leading parties among the Jews in the first century. They were religious and social leaders. And their philosophy, the, the philosophy of the Pharisees, formed the basis of modern rabbinical thought. That is to say, most of Jewish religious teaching today is based on the philosophies and the thought processes and the study of the Pharisees. So they're very important in that regard in developing the way that Jewish people thought about their religion and thought about their life. Now the Pharisees at the time would have been considered religiously conservative. They held to a very strict interpretation of the Torah, that is, the books of Moses, the, what we would call the first five books of the Old Testament, where the law of Moses was. They held to a very strict interpretation of that law. You know, beginning with the Ten Commandments and all of the rest of the law contained therein. So not only the law, but its application to everyday life. How you lived according to that law. The Pharisees were very strict in their view of that, of that law and how it ought to be lived out. Now the Pharisees primarily represented the rabbis. That is to say, the religious teachers. And the people viewed them as the common leadership. Because the other party, the, the Sadducees, were the priests. They held the high priesthood. The priests um, who led in the temple at that time were members of the Sadducees. And they were considered the upper class. They were considered the elites of society. Where the Pharisees, even though some of them were very well-to-do, were considered more of the common people. And their belief systems were different. The Sadducees did not believe in spiritual, the spiritual component of, that, of humanity, what we would call the soul. And the Pharisees did. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. They did not believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in, in heaven or hell. Whereas the Pharisees believed in all of those things. They believed in the soul. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in life after death. And so... There was a, a conflict not only politically between these two groups, but in terms of how they viewed spiritual things. 
So when we see the Pharisee in, this, in Jesus' story, that's who this man is. He is from the, uh, the rabbinical party. He is from the religious conservatives of his day. He is one who believes in, in spiritual things and their importance. Now we look at the other person in the story, the tax collector. What was a tax collector? Well, the tax collectors were often referred to as publicans or publicani, as it would have been said in those days, because they held a public office. And they were individuals who were contracted by the Roman government to collect taxes and to perform other administrative functions. That is to say that they did a lot of the things that today might be done by a member of the city council or a member of the planning commission, for example. They did a lot of those kinds of civic duties. People generally did not like the publicans. First of all, because you know nobody likes paying taxes. <laughs> Even if you understand how important it is to pay taxes, none of us like paying them. And so, just on that basis, people weren't crazy about them. But also, people didn't like them because they worked for the Roman government. The Roman government were the oppressors. They were the invaders. They were the people who lorded it over the Jews in their own homeland. And who ruled over them. And so these publicans, these tax collectors, worked for the enemy, as it were. And so the Jews viewed them as traitors to their own people. They were selling out their own people, as it were, by working for the Romans, in the view of many. And it was also true that many of the publicans, many of the tax collectors were corrupt. They would use their office as an opportunity to get rich. What they would do is the Roman government would set an amount for tax. They would tell the publicans, collect this much tax from everybody. Now the publicans knew how much that amount was. But people in general did not. So when you went to the tax collector's office to pay your tax, it wasn't like today where, you know, there's a formula and the IRS has a table and you look, you see how much you made and, you know, you can see very clearly how much you owe in tax. It wasn't like that. You had to take the publican's word for it. You walked in, how much is my tax? And he would say, here's how much it is. And quite often, it was far more than what the Roman government actually required. And guess where that extra money was going? Into the pocket of the tax collector. And people knew that the tax collectors did this. And so they were not very popular as a result of that. Not only that, but many of them accepted bribes for contracts because, like I said, they did a lot of the things that a planning commissioner might do today. If a road needed to be built or a public building needed to be constructed, they were the people who, who took the bids for the Roman government and assigned the work. And they would often take money under the table in order to award those contracts. And again, people knew that they did that. And so they were not very popular as a result. So here's the contrast. Here we have someone who would have been, who would have been seen in the Pharisee as a religious leader. A person who was theoretically doing all of the right things in life. 
And then we have the contrast of this tax collector who would have been looked at as a person who was doing all of the wrong things in life, who was a thief, who was a criminal, who was a traitor, who was a taking advantage of his own people. And that's who Jesus is contrasting in this story. But I want us to notice, first of all, not only what Jesus says about each of these two men, but I also want us to notice what he doesn't say about each of them. And I want us to remember these things in the context of why Jesus is telling the story. Remember, Luke says that he's telling the story to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Now, when we read this, the parable, as we did, we see that Jesus says some things very specific about the Pharisee. Number one, he tells us that he went, went to the temple to pray, and he did, in fact, pray. We read his prayer in the, in the words of Jesus. Jesus tells us that he stood by himself. That is to say that when he went in to pray, he did not kneel with the group of folks that might have been there in, in the temple for the purpose of praying, but he stood off to himself because he was going to pray out loud. And so he stood in a place where he could do that. At the conclusion of the story, Jesus tells us that he did not go home justified. And he also tells us the reason why. Because he exalted himself. But I also want us to notice what Jesus doesn't say about the Pharisee. He does not say that the Pharisee was a liar. When the Pharisee says, Lord, here's all the good things I do, Jesus does not say he didn't really do that. And for that reason, we have to take him at his word. Because Jesus doesn't tell us not to. So when he says, I'm not like people doing a lot of bad stuff, we have to suppose that he was not like people who did a lot of bad stuff. When he says that he fasted twice a week and gave a tenth of all that he gained, we have to assume he's telling the truth because Jesus doesn't tell us that he wasn't telling the truth. So we have to take him at his word. He was doing all of these good things. Jesus also doesn't tell us that the Pharisee was wrong in looking at other people's behavior and thinking it was sinful. When he talks about people being, as he describes them, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, Jesus doesn't say, no, those things are okay. He doesn't say, no, he's wrong about that. It's really okay to be a robber. It's okay to be an evildoer. It's okay to, to be an adulterer. No, Jesus doesn't do that. So when the man says, all of those things are bad, and Jesus doesn't correct him, then we have to presume, well, that, that, that's in fact true. Those are bad things. Those are things we should not do. He was right 
to judge those things as sinful. And he also doesn't say that the Pharisee was wrong about good behavior. When he said that he did certain things that his religious practice required, Jesus doesn't say, no, he shouldn't be doing that. He doesn't say, no, those things, in fact, are not right. So again, Jesus takes him at his word. When he says that he's doing all these good things, not only does Jesus want us to believe, yes, he's doing them, but also those are, in fact, good things. Because Jesus doesn't say otherwise. Now let's look at the tax collector. Notice again what Jesus does say and what he doesn't say about the tax collector. What he does say is that, like the Pharisee, the tax collector went to the temple to pray, and he did pray. We hear his prayer in the words of Jesus. We're told that he also stood at a distance. That he, like the, the Pharisee who stood off by himself, the, the tax collector does that too. He doesn't mingle with the other people who have come to worship. But rather he stands off by himself. But Jesus also tells us that he would not look up toward heaven. Jesus tells us that he beat himself on the breast. Showing the greatness of his emotion as he prayed. And Jesus tells us that he, unlike the Pharisee, went home justified. Because he humbled himself. But notice what Jesus doesn't tell us about the tax collector. Just as he didn't tell us that the Pharisee was a liar, he doesn't tell us the tax collector was a liar. When the tax collector says, Lord, I'm a sinner. Jesus doesn't say, no, he's wrong about that. He's really okay. Jesus lets his word stand. When the man says he's a sinner, he's a sinner. Jesus wants us to believe him when he says that. But Jesus also doesn't tell us what made the tax collector a sinner. It may have been that like some of his fellow practitioners, that he took advantage of people. Maybe he extorted money that he shouldn't. Maybe he, he charged more in tax than he should have. Maybe he took bribes to assign contracts. Maybe his sins were something completely different. We don't know. Because Jesus doesn't tell us. He doesn't expand on that. Jesus doesn't say, well, here's what his sins were. He simply allows the man to describe himself as a sinner, and he doesn't correct our understanding of that. And when the tax collector says, God be merciful to me, a sinner, Jesus does not say, no, he really didn't need mercy. Jesus lets that fact stand that yes, he did. 
Jesus doesn't correct his, his interpretation of his situation. That he was a person who needed mercy from God. Jesus doesn't tell him, no, he's wrong about that. He doesn't need God's mercy. The fact that Jesus doesn't correct that understanding suggests to us that he did, in fact, need that mercy. I want us now to look at another story that Jesus tells that is a similar kind of contrast. And it's in Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 28. Frequently we refer to this as the parable of the two sons, or the father with two sons. Here's what Jesus says. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. And then Jesus answers, asks a question. He says, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. The one who first said he wouldn't go, but then later changed his mind and went. He's the one who did what the Father wanted. And notice what Jesus says in response to that answer. He says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John, and here he's speaking of John the baptizer, not John the apostle. John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, that is to say, even after you saw other people hearing God, God's word through John and believing it, even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now again, let's look at what Jesus does say and what he doesn't say. Jesus says that the first son initially said, I will not. The father comes to the first son and says, son, go to the vineyard. And he says, I will not. Now, Jesus doesn't say anything about his motivation or his attitude. We might have read that into the story as we were reading it. We might have said, well, there's an act of rebellion right there. Father says, go work in the vineyard. And he said, I will not. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus just tells us the son said, I will not. Maybe he had other things to do that day. Maybe those things were important. We don't know why he said, I will not. Maybe his wife and children were sick. And he was going to stay home and take care of them. Maybe he had business that he had committed to doing. That needed to be taken care of. We don't know. 
it's easy for us to assume that he was being rebellious against the Father, but we don't know. Jesus doesn't say that. If we see that in the story, it's because we're reading it into the story. All that Jesus tells us is that the Son said, I will not go. Jesus doesn't tell us anything about his attitude. But he tells us everything about his actions. Later, he changed his mind and went. The son who first said, I'm not going, ultimately did go and do the work that his father asked him to do. Similarly, the second son initially said, I will go. I will, sir. But again, there's nothing about his motivation or his sincerity there. Jesus doesn't tell us whether he just said that to make his father happy and had no intention of going, or whether he really intended to go when he said, I will go. But something happened to cause him not to go. Whether it was circumstances that arose, or whether he just decided he didn't want to, we don't know. We might have thought we understood why he did it. We might have read that into the story. But Jesus doesn't tell us why he said, I'll go, and then didn't go. He just tells us that's what happened. So we don't really know anything about his motivation. We don't know whether he was sincere or not when he said, I will go. But once again, Jesus does tell us everything about his action. He did not go. That we know. Regardless of what he said he was going to do, and regardless of the reasons why he ultimately didn't follow through, he did not go. And so then Jesus asks the question, which of the two did what the Father wanted? And the correct answer comes right back. Well, the first one. Jesus didn't ask them who had a better attitude. Jesus didn't ask them who was more sincere, who was more honest. Because what mattered was whether either son did what the father wanted. It's not a story about attitude. It's a story about doing or not doing. Because that's what Jesus tells us the story is about. Having told that story, look at the comparison that Jesus then makes. He tells the people who are listening that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven. And that they are entering, he said, ahead of you. What does Jesus want us to understand there? Number one, the kingdom of God is not about social status. We might not want to live in a kingdom filled with tax collectors and prostitutes. 
But God doesn't care. If that's who will come, that's, who's God is, that's who God is glad to have. If those are the people who are welcoming his invitation and are responding to it, he's glad to have them. We might not want them at our table, but God is glad to have them at his. Also, the kingdom of God is not about where you come from. God doesn't care if you used to be a tax collector in the context that we saw in the previous story where many of the tax collectors were crooks and thieves and just generally bad people. God doesn't care if that's where you come from. God doesn't care if you come from having been a prostitute or whatever manner of immorality your life might have been characterized by before you come to Him. God doesn't care. God is not judging you on that basis if you come to Him. Because the kingdom of God is not about who you used to be. The kingdom of God is not about your past. Tax collectors and prostitutes who came to God having renounced their former ways were welcome in His kingdom. And there's a reason why Jesus uses those two specific examples. Because He's speaking primarily to a group of Pharisees. People like the man in the first story. People who thought of themselves as religiously conservative. People who thought they were doing all of the right things according to the law. And looked down on people who didn't. Like tax collectors. And prostitutes. And Jesus is saying, look, those people are hearing the gospel and are coming to the Lord. And you, who think you are doing so well, are not. John came to you, he says, to show you the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw that, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus wanted them to understand, and he wants us, by extension, to understand that the kingdom of God is about who you are today. Not who you used to be. Not where you come from, not where you've been, not what you've done. It's who you are today. And if today you are the person who says, I will come to the Lord, nothing else matters from where you've been before. None of that makes any difference at this point. What matters is what you do right now. Here and now, today. Because the kingdom of God is not about the past. The kingdom of God is about today. And the action of today. 
Jesus tells two stories that are studies in contrast. The story about the Pharisee and the tax collector is a contrast of attitudes. The attitude of a person who exalted himself and failed to be justified before God and the attitude of a person who humbled himself before God and was justified. The second parable, the parable about the two sons, contrasts actions. Because one son did and the other son did not. When we take these two parables and put them side by side, notice what we learn. Both attitudes and actions matter. Jesus tells the one story to talk about attitude. He tells the second story to talk about action. When we put them together, we see both of those things are important. We also see that right actions don't make bad attitudes good. The Pharisee in the first story was doing all the right things, but with a bad attitude. And his bad attitude ruined the benefit of all of his good actions. It also, in the second story, we see that good attitudes don't make bad actions good. The son who said, I will, but didn't go, wasn't okay because he said, yes, father, I'll go. Because what condemned him was his action. It wasn't his talk. It was what he did that mattered. And conversely, the right attitude can lead us to a place where past bad actions can be forgiven. Where a tax collector, who rightly, apparently, in the words of Jesus, because Jesus doesn't correct him, judges himself to be a sinner, can find mercy. In the presence of God. Where a son who said I will not go. Can change his mind and go. And be accepted by the father. Because of his action. A place where even. As the world then viewed them. Tax collectors and prostitutes. Could come. To God. Through the gospel. And be accepted. In his kingdom. Because what matters most when we look at these two stories together is doing the will of our Father and seeking his mercy and forgiveness when we fail to do what we should. When we realize that we are not what we should be, when we realize that we are sinners. When we realize, metaphorically speaking, that we are tax collectors and prostitutes. That we can come to God and find forgiveness in Him. So here's the question that I want to leave you with this morning. Who are you in these stories? Who am I in these stories? Am I that Pharisee? Who does a lot of good things, but does them with a prideful heart, a self-serving heart, does them to look good, 
rather than to be good? Is that who I am? Or am I that tax collector who says, I'm a sinner and I need God's mercy and know that I can call out for it and receive it because God wants me to have it? Am I that son who says the right things? Yes, Father, I'll go do the work. But then I don't go. I talk a good game, but my actions don't support it. Is that who I am? Or am I that son who's seeing the need to obey my father, changes his mind, corrects his path, and does what my father asked me to do? Is that who I am? Am I those Pharisees that Jesus addressed with the parable of the two sons who reject God's word, who rely on my own goodness and look at other people and say, yeah, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I'm not like those tax collectors and prostitutes. Or... Am I like those tax collectors and prostitutes who embraced God's word of grace and turned to him despite the things that they'd done in the past? As you go about the week, I want you to think about these two stories. And I want you to ask yourself honestly, who am I? Am I the Pharisee or the tax collector? Am I the first son or the second son? Am I the Pharisees who rejected God's word because they didn't think they needed it? Because they were too good already? Or am I among the tax collectors and prostitutes? People who may have a lot to overcome, but can by God's grace because he is a loving and forgiving and compassionate God. Think about these two stories this week. Ask yourself where you are in those stories. And if you need to make a change from one side of the story to the other, commit to doing that. And know that God has your back in so doing. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song that Nathaniel's chosen to encourage us all of us, if we are honest with ourselves, are people who need God's grace and mercy. We are all tax collectors and prostitutes in the sense that we are all sinners before God. Let none of us think like that Pharisee or like that crowd of Pharisees that we are good enough on our own. That we don't need God's grace. But rather let us look at ourselves honestly. And say God have mercy on me. And know that he will. Let's stand and we'll sing.